0: Welcome to the Digital Workflow Dentistry Podcast Series. We help dentists adapt, adopt, and advance in the world of dental technology. For more information about upcoming lectures, webinars, and podcasts, please go to our website, www.digitalworkflowdentist.com, and Instagram at Digital Workflow Dentistry. They say that eyes are the window to your soul. Let Legend Graphics provide you visually stunning art prints, canvas photo prints, banners, and so much more. Whether it's for your home, team, or business, we can create a design for you virtually. Visit www.legendgrafix.com.
1: Good afternoon, Dental Internet World. My name is Vishal Sharma, and I'm once again here at the office of my friend and colleague, Dr. Mike Parchewski, and we're recording our podcast digital workflow dentist. Hey, Mike, so did you have a good night's sleep? Well, good afternoon,
0: everyone. Well, it is fitting that you asked that question, because today we're talking about sleep apnea, and more specifically, the dentist's and the dental office's role in sleep apnea in diagnosis, screening, and treatment.
1: So, Mike, we're going to be discussing those three things in detail today, screening, diagnosis, and ultimately the treatment of sleep issues, and in particular, sleep apnea. So, Mike before we jump into how offices can integrate sleep into our practices tell us why sleep is so important
0: well sleep is an essential time for our bodies to recover from all the stuff we do during the day growth hormone is released during sleep which is critical for repair also our blood pressure will drop and that allows our our heart and our circulatory system to get a little bit of a chance to relax repair and just heal itself
1: so Consequently, what happens then with a lack of sleep, or more specifically, a lack of oxygen during sleep?
0: Well, when we don't get proper sleep, and we're sleep deprived, we end up with an increase of our sympathetic nervous system. Uh, By that uh, sympathetic nervous system activity increasing, it's going to decrease the blood flow that's going to the heart, and it's going to decrease the oxygen, therefore, that's going to the heart. So this will result in an increased risk of stroke, and an increased risk of cardiovascular diseases such as high blood pressure. Also, without proper rest and repair, we're at risk for other things such as cancer, diabetes, increased irritability, drop in libido, and increased fat deposition as the cortisol levels increase at night.
1: So you discussed cardiovascular disease. Uh, In fact, for untreated sleep apnea, the risk of a heart attack increases by 30%. And you mentioned cancer. The literature indicates a four to five times increased risk of cancer for untreated sleep apnea. So uh, fairly significant, the consequences of that. Now, this might be a little elementary for our listeners, but just very quickly, what constitutes uh, sleep apnea and other uh, sleep disorders?
0: Well, sleep apnea is a part of a larger classification of sleep disorders, uh, which is a pretty big list. Uh, the biggest one on the list is insomnia, and then it comes down to, to obstructive sleep apnea. When we talk about sleep apnea, we're primarily talking about the obstructive, uh, which means air is not able to move through the oral pharynx And basically because of a constriction now that constriction may be partial or may be complete when we're talking about partial constriction we're talking about a term called hypopnea when we're talking about a full constriction we're talking about an apnea now also one of the big words we talk about with sleep is snoring snoring is kind of like a partial closure what that's flapping and it's making a, a vibration
1: okay mike so You've convinced me on the importance of a healthy sleep, and as a dentist, of course, we all want the best for our patients. What's the next step of incorporating this into my practice?
0: Well, the first step is the is the screening. Really, what it's about is getting your team um, and the doctor on, on board and everybody to understand uh, what we're looking for uh, so that we can identify these patients in our office.
1: So an effective place to start would obviously be the medical history, Uh, incorporating some probing questions into that medical history. What are we looking for in terms of comorbidities or clues in that medical history? And what are the preliminary questions that you're typically asking, Mike?
0: Well, several things that we're looking at um, are things like uh, history of high blood pressure. We're looking at diabetes, clenching, grinding issues, um, patients that have had a recent weight gain, headaches. Um, Also, we're asking, um, quite simply, um, if they've been tested before or if they've ever been diagnosed with sleep apnea. A lot of times our our patients have been treated for sleep apnea or were tested in the past, and they just don't actually tell us that. So it's important to ask that simple question as well.
1: Let's move on to the clinical evaluation. So as a dentist or a hygienist, what signs can we look for that would indicate that a patient uh, may be a candidate for further sleep investigation?
0: Well, it's a good good comment. The big thing with the screening is it has to be a team approach. So, as a team, we have to you know we have to give our team the tools um, to understand what they're looking for, and we have to make it simple to integrate. We need our team to understand the concepts of sleep apnea, what the typical patient looks like who has sleep apnea, but it really has to be you know everybody's busy during the day. The hygienists are busy with their patients, mm-hmm. um, so it has to be. Um, easy and it has to be something that they can integrate uh, quite quickly so what we're having them focus on primarily is is those critical factors that we find that are correlated with sleep apnea and that's snoring clenching grinding high BMI you know and that's not hard to miss Mm -hmm. Um, and and it's becoming more preponderant Um, large neck size um, males over 50 so simply right there you have a risk category and also postmenopausal women and we're also looking, again, it comes back to the patients with high blood pressure. And in, in, in our office, our, our hygienists, I'm not sure about yours as well, but uh, they're taking their blood pressure. I don't know if you guys are. Um, and so we're able to test that, and, and it starts that conversation with the patients. For my team, uh, by simply looking at their patients with this kind of mindset, it helps to start a conversation with that patient when we get into more clinical uh whether when the hygienist is actually working on them or when we're doing an exam or a new patient exam i think it's important to look at things um like tongue size it's important to look at a history of clenching grinding uh the mallampati scale is very well uh, used here um looking at tongue size looking at um whether there's inflammatory disease that's unexplainable, looking at tooth mobility. These are all things that we should be evaluating in our patients anyways, but also looking at them in the scope of the sleep apnea. You
1: know, One of the things we found effective uh, in our office in the hygiene rooms is having a readily accessible illustration of Mallampati classification uh, and even uh, tonsillar grading has been quite effective for us as well. So... We've identified some of the signs that the patient in our chair may have some sleep issues and you discussed uh, snoring is one common question that you'll ask. Uh, What other investigative questions can we ask at this point?
0: Well, again, patients that we're uh, suspect that they may have sleep apnea, um, again, the snoring is a big one that we want to ask. Restless sleep, um, daytime sleepiness. Mm -hmm. Um, I also find that it's important to have a conversation about what their bed partner might comment or say. Uh, would they say that they cleanse your grind uh would they say they you know that they've are snoring or waking them up um so i think those are important things that can
1: lead to conversations in on the street we call that rate your mate by the way
0: that's very cool i like that one actually i'm going to use that one
1: it's it's all yours (laughs) um
0: but in the end what we get to is um where we get the patients to actually fill out uh, questionnaires Uh, could be the stop bang or the Epworth sleep test or the berlin test and in a future podcast we're going to go through these questionnaires in more detail but from these questionnaires it really starts to ask patients important questions like are they finding themselves falling asleep while driving while working and really makes people think and they're like wait that's me i do that or that happens to me all the time some of us um, some of the patients i find think it's normal Mm -hmm. and so when they find out hey this could be sleep apnea um, again, it's it's about getting them aware so that we could get them into a testing uh, modality.
1: So obviously identifying some signs in a clinical evaluation, clenching, grinding, tori, malampati, tonsil classification, size of the uh, tongue. Of course, then you're asking further questions, uh, Epworth uh, sleepiness scale, daytime sleepiness, uh, all of those things. And so one uh, more objective piece of data that we have or machinery, Mike, is of course CBCT. And how does that play a role as a predictor for soft tissue airway obstruction?
0: Well, what I find with the CBCT is there's a real benefit with CBCT for um, displaying the architecture of the airway. There's also other things that we can look at on the CBCT sinuses. We can look at um, tongue mass. We can look at tonsil position. But it really, when we do the colorization of of the airway and we put that in front of the patient, they're seeing that that is their airway. They're seeing a picture of what it, the physiology or the anatomy uh, of their airway. Now, it's to me, it's a real big thing. It's a conversation starter for the patients because, you know, we're not taking a CBCT on the patient while they're sleeping, and we're not taking a CBCT on a patient while they're lying down. It's an awake standing up, and nobody has sleep apnea while they're awake and standing up. So it's not a diagnostic tool, but boy, does it ever get patients looking and thinking and going, okay, this is very interesting. Wow, you guys are looking at things really holistically. Um, Now, and the beauty about the CBCT as well is with the low dose, you know, we can use it as a screener of sinuses, and we can use it as a screener for a pan and all that. But then we can also look at at the anatomy of the airway. And being on the low dose setting, uh, is very nice as well because it's you know it's minimal radiation for the patient.
1: And so with the technology that is associated with uh, the CBCT, or pardon me, the software, uh, constrictures of less than 100 millimeters squared, squared can be predictive but not diagnostic of sleep issues.
0: Yeah, there is definitely research that shows that, you know, when you're getting down to 85 on a less than 100 that there is some correlation there uh, to sleep apnea.
1: Okay. So, you know, as a practitioner, we now have sufficient evidence to justify more information gathering. Uh, More importantly, our patient is now engaged. Uh, They're interested in pursuing this. So our next step is uh, a take-home sleep test or a take-home PSG to determine whether the patient has sufficient oxygenation. Uh, What system do you use and, and elaborate as to why you use that system?
0: Yeah. So we use the Matrix Plus system from Zephyr Medical, um, I find with that system, the portal uh, access is really nice. Uh, so it's basically a portal system on a cloud base where you know you can easily email or send your sleep studies um, to sleep physicians, uh, medical doctors. So it's a very nice way to do a collaborative diagnosis on on our patients. I even have multiple sleep doctors taking a look at that study. Uh, there are several other units out there, like ResMed, for example, but for for us, we find it to be a pretty robust system.
1: So that's your your method of choice right now. We've uh, in our offices in the past used the watchpad and the Medibite as well. and and of course, regardless of what system you're utilizing, uh, in Alberta, we currently need a medical doctor who's certified in sleep to provide us with a diagnosis and to interpret the test results. So by evaluating that study, they're going to make some treatment recommendations. So Mike, Talk about what some of those treatment recommendations might be, and if you're a dentist looking to get into this, uh, the treatment of sleep breathing disorders, how do you find a doctor to collaborate with? So first of all, I
0: agree with you 100% uh, about the medical doctor, uh, sleep sleep physician being involved in the diagnosis. It's very important. Even if you're in a state or if there's a time where where that's not required, I think it's Still valued and would still be my way to practice. Um, In some places, you're not allowed to dispense a level three test uh, in some states and provinces. But so we're able to dispense a level three, but of course, for the diagnostic part, it has to come from a sleep physician. But I, I think that's critical. And the reason that's critical is because sleep apnea is not a simple topic. Yes, we have patients that fall into the categories that we, you know, that are sort of bread and butter type of cases. But a lot of our patients have a lot of comorbidities. A lot of our patients are very sick. A lot of our patients have multiple things that are going on. And, you know, there could be insomnia coupled with sleep apnea. And so we can treat one part, but the other part Mm -hmm. isn't working. So um, if the patient can't go to sleep, it doesn't matter what we're using on them. So I think it's very important to always work with a sleep physician and have some solid relationships that way. Now, when that study comes back, what we're seeing in there. Uh, mainly, we're looking at a couple big numbers on there, and one is the AHI, the Apnea Hypopnea Index, and the other is called the ODI, which is the Oxygen Desaturation Index. So, those are kind of the two key things that we're looking at. Um, so, the AHI is really talking about the number of times that there's apneas where there's no breathing, and the number of times there's hypopneas, which is a, a reduced breathing, and how many of these episodes are occurring in an hour. An AHI of less than five would be normal. 5 to 15 mild, 15 to 30 moderate, over 30 would be considered severe. The ODI, which I really like to look at, is the oxygen desaturation index. And so every time that the the body goes through a desaturation where it's below 4% of normal, um, and so we see the blood oxygen supply dropping, that is, I find, critical because it really, to me, it tells me about the severity of the case. If I see somebody's desatting all the time into the 70s, really that person is in, in an unhealthy state and at risk of a lot of the comorbidities and really we need to get get some treatment going forward now when the sleep test is completed and we've got this data we get um we know we get a report back and the report coming back from the sleep physician is basically going to tell us you know the severity It's going to talk to us about, is there any central sleep issues? Is there anything else that he finds in looking at the report or looking at the sleep study in detail? And he'll put that on his report. But it's basically, he's going to give us a, you know, there's no treatment required or this patient maybe should try positional therapy or something adjunctive or maybe improve their sleep hygiene. Um, But if we're getting into those uh, diagnosed sleep apnea cases, he's typically going to talk about a CPAP or an oral appliance therapy. And so for for us, you know, if he says, yes, you know, oral appliance is a, is a good one here. If he says, no, it's just should be CPAP. Well, then we're getting that patient for a CPAP trial. Um, in a lot of provinces um, and states, they'll uh, insurance will cover a CPAP trial. And so a lot of times we'll just have our patients do a trial to find out if they'll like it. I don't know about you, but a lot of my patients are coming where they've been on the CPAP. And they're not happy with the CPAP so we're looking at is oral oral appliance um, gonna work for that patient and again I always will say that complex cases um, may require more appointments more testing maybe an overnight test um, but that's where you work with your sleep physician
1: yeah you mentioned a a CPAP Uh, recent study that I read indicated that at about six months there's a 30% compliance rate for CPAP uh, Usage So that would be a good indication as to where those patients are coming back to you. Um, So, you know, you mentioned sleep hygiene. That would just be related to turning electronics off a certain amount of time before you go to bed. No caffeine for X number of hours before positional therapy would be related to not sleeping on your back, which typically the gravity and the pull on the soft tissues exacerbates uh, sleep related issues on our back. Uh, And of course, in behavioral modifications, probably exercise and weight loss would be the main things. but. Um, We're going to go with the assumption that we now have a definitive course of action. We have a diagnosis. And one of the suggestions from the medical doctor was to start mandibular advancement, uh, a mandibular advancement device or oral appliance therapy. And we're going to go on that assumption because uh, this podcast would be uh, not very informative if we were to go on another assumption. So Uh, oral appliance therapy is indicated Mike what is the next step and how you determine how to best fabricate that device what technologies do you use
0: so the next thing that I'm doing uh, again it comes back to the matrix plus machine that I'm using Um, and one of the reasons I like the matrix plus it'll do two different types of of programs one program will be a level 3 test and that's the one we're doing the diagnosis having that come from the sleep physician and the second one is the ability to run a theragnostic test And the theragnostic test is a determination of position and determination of whether or not the patient is actually going to be a candidate for an oral appliance.
1: So the workflow entails using a bite registration fabricated custom mouthpiece. It attaches into the matrix system. Um, Over the course of night one, we're going to see upwards of 150 anterior, posterior, mandibular movements. And the device is going to record the position that's most optimal. Is that Am I on the right track there, Mike?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Basically, you know, even I'm noticing a lot of the you know times the computer is doing two to three hundred movements, but it's really trying to find out where um, that position of the bite would be ideal, and of course whether or not this patient is there is there an optimal place for this patient, and will they actually be responsive to oral appliance therapy? And the reason for that is that with oral appliance therapy. Uh, only 70% of patients will actually be responders, whereas with CPAP, it'll treat 100% of Mm -hmm. people, just not a lot of people love it. But with the oral appliance, a lot of people will use it, but there's 30% of patients that it just won't work for and Really, we don't want to be starting treatment on those patients.
1: You know, one of the things that we talked about at our uh, inaugural podcast, which if you haven't heard it, it's worth a listen Uh, We talked about uh, predictability and how digital dentistry can improve the predictability of the outcomes for our patients. And so I know uh, in talking to a lot of my dental colleagues, one of the concerns with venturing into treating sleep is that 30% non-responding aspect. So the fact that we have a device that can really uh, predetermine that leads to, of course, a more predictable, uh, accurate end result. So uh, that's what happens on night number one. Elaborate on what happens on night number two. So night number
0: two, again, is, is that night where, you know, we, it's, it's done the first night where it's tested to all the two to 300 positions, and so it's computed a most ideal spot. So within the first 15 to 20 minutes that you go to sleep, it's going to, the machine's going to move you, the motor's going to move that custom titratable tray to that position that it deemed as most optimal. It'll then lock you in that position and basically run a one-night sleep test and see okay, how does that, how does that result um, comparative to where their baseline was?
1: And so we now have a therapeutic position which the matrix uh, theragnostic test has aided us in determining. We've, of course, taken a digital scan of the upper jaw, a digital scan of the lower jaw, and either we're sending that bite registration fork into the lab, or we can actually do a buckle scan with it in for the lab to determine where they're going to build the appliance that we've prescribed. So... We're getting the appliance back. Talk us through what a delivery appointment will look like. And obviously, there's a variety of different devices out there, which you'll touch base in a few of them. And at a future webinar, we'll be discussing those appliances and their specific indications in much more detail. But talk us through what a delivery appointment looks like.
0: Yeah, no, I agree. Um, definitely, the appliance is a massive topic. Um, there's several of them, and they all have their different insertion protocols and delivery protocols. And so, you know, there's the, the different appliances we're typically using a lot here, Optisleep, the Somnomed Avant, uh, Prosomnus IA, Panthera. Um, so they all have different different purposes, um, you know, like the Panthera, for example, might be good in a heavy clencher grinder because it's literally you can't break it. Um, you know, and the, maybe the Somn- Somnomed would be good in a case where um you have implants or you want a little bit more flexibility, and then the milled ones I find are just fabulous when you have good ar- good arches, good occlusions, good teeth, good solid teeth that uh, we're gonna have something that's milled and they're so easy to keep clean um I mean a year out and a lot of these look brand new, so I think that's really great
1: and the audi sleep is also quite a uh compact unit as well,
0: yeah, yeah, nice on a small size now at the appointment where we're inserting basically we're we're Checking the fit at the top, checking the fit of the bottom, and then checking the fit of the two together. And we want to confirm that where we did the matrix test uh, is the, you know, that position that we found on our test is actually being uh, represented in the appliance. So, you know, if, if let's say the appliance comes back and something got askew, we want to make sure that we're not sending them home in the wrong position because basically. With that theragnostic test, we're we're following kind of a concept of set it and forget it, where we have a predicted position where that patient should be treated. So we don't have to titrate them. We're not Mm going to say, okay, we're going to start at 60% and move them to 70%. It's literally whatever the computer told us. And I'll be honest with you, in a lot of our cases, it's a 30%, it's 20%, it's 15%, it's 40%. And so it's way less than you would expect. And a lot of that just comes from when people are sleeping on the back, they're going to retrude more than we, we realize. And sometimes just by stabilizing that lower jaw is enough to treat their sleep apnea. So really at the insert and with, you know, with these appliances, it's really quite fast.
1: You know, uh, we, of course, were discussing digital impressions. And one of the things that we found when we made the switch to uh, exclusively the digital impressions a few years ago was the accuracy of the fit was vastly superior. So those delivery appointments are certainly a lot more streamlined. Uh, I, I can't recall the last time we pulled out a straight handpiece to adjust a, a tight spot. Yeah. So uh, that, that predictability, of course, has uh, been well-received. Uh, so talk us through the post-operative uh, follow-up, obviously with a theragnostic test that definitively gives us an objective numerical starting and treatment point. There's not the subjective titration, which, uh, of course, was something that dentists found, I think, frustrating would be an appropriate word, uh, or at least not predictable. So we no longer have that. But what's the rest of the follow-up, post-op follow-up look like, Mike? So we're going to see
0: them at the end of one month. Um, So they've been wearing the appliance. We gave them instructions on how to clean it, take care of it. And those instructions generally, you know, are pretty much general for all appliances, but there are some for each appliance has their own little specific types of things for cleaning them. Um, but when we see them, we're basically debriefing them. We're finding out, you know, how often have they been wearing it? Are they wearing it through the night? Had, have they had times where they've had to take it out? How are they comfortable? How does their jaw joint feel? How are the muscles? Um, and we'll also get them to feel, uh, fill out, um, the sleep questionnaires, again, that we had them fill out at the beginning. You know, are we seeing improvement in the daytime sleepiness? Are we seeing improvement in some of their symptoms? At this time, through that debriefing, um, we can talk about whether or not we need to titrate, okay? So, you know, now again, based on the, the workflow and, and, and using the theragnostic test, we're rarely having to do a lot of titration. But if a patient says, you know, I'm still snoring a tiny bit, we might just say, let's try titrate them one millimeter forward, you know, so we can try those things. Now, at this stage, um, we've got the patient that's using the appliance. They're comfortable. Everything's going well. Um, we may titrate a little bit or we might not. Um, at this point, I will always send a letter to the sleep physician and also to their medical doctor to say, you know, they're one month into the treatment. This is how they're doing. Um, and so far, you know, everything is working the way we want it. Or we've had to titrate, or, and we'll just give them an update so they're aware of what's happening. Now, at, we get, then are going to see them at two months, and at the two months, um, again, if we're finding everything's great, nothing, they're feeling comfortable, jaw joint's good, all the stuff is fine, we are going to book them for a post-op sleep test. So it's going to be a level three one-night test, and we're going to find out is the appliance working? Is it? Bringing the AHI down to our goals, which for us, my, you know, for our goals and our provincial goals, is an AHI less than ten mm-hmm. and less than half of the original AHI. So if the original AHI was thirty, we want to get it down below fifteen. Okay. Um, well, we want to get it below ten, but we want to make sure that it's it's half of the original. So if it was fifteen, we not only want to get it below ten, but we want to get it like below seven. Okay. Now if we now so then we'll we'll book that test and then we'll run that test Um, if the testing doesn't show what we want let's say their ahi is not coming down enough we're going to talk to them about positional we'll talk to them about humidifier we'll talk to them about uh, different adjunctive things that we can do with them Um, trying them you know more side sleeping things like that Uh, and we also then have the opportunity to try to titrate you know, because we're often starting at such a low titration that we can titrate a little bit more forward, and then we'll follow up. But our goal really is in six months, we want to get that patient having the results that we want. And if let's say we're at well, the first test we take on them, everything's good, well, then we're done. Okay, we're done at that point, And we're going to send a letter to the sleep physician, say that we've met these goals, the patient's happy, comfortable, you know, they're sleeping better. Uh, and then what we want to do is we want to see them at six months. And we typically want to retest them every two years. But if anywhere in that regime that we find that we're not getting the answers we want or we're not, getting, we're not able to get them to where we want to be, that's where we go back to the sleep position and say, hey, look, you know, this is where we're at. You know, we're struggling to get here. And then they will help us to decide, is that the best we're going to get? Or do we need to look at other alternative uh, treatment?
1: And the one thing that you uh, failed to mention is you also want the rate of your mate score to increase uh, substantially as well.
0: That's the most critical score.
1: So at one of our future webinars, we'll discuss some of the uh, other avenues that you might need to take if the treatment has not gone uh, as uh, expected or you've not obtained optimal results. We'll also talk about some of the post-delivery complications and how to manage those uh, effectively. Uh, And that really wraps up our podcast, Mike. Uh, I'd like to invite all of you to please join us for our next podcast where we're going to be discussing uh, digital implant planning. And uh, Mike, you look great, but uh, now it's time to go get some beauty rest. You too, man. Take care, everybody, and have a good sleep. Thank you.